but tonight we're going to look at how to make sound decisions. How to make sound decisions. There's a book verse in Jeremiah, and you don't have to turn there. It's just one verse. I'm just going to read it to you. In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse number 23, he says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. He says, Lord, I know man doesn't have it in their capacity or their wherewithal to direct their own steps, to determine their own end, to guide their own life. He's saying that in truth, Lord, we understand this and we know that to be true. And so we call on you to help guide us. It is the nature of men to want to follow their own heart, to do their own thing, to not really live a submitted or yielded life to God or to anybody else, but to find their own way. But the heart of man, we know, is desperately wicked and uh, will lead us astray. But men tend to just look inside, and I looked up some things about decision-making with regard to this world and the world's philosophy, and found an article written by some professor or PhD in trying to teach people how to make decisions. I'm just going to read you a paragraph out of this article to give you an idea of the hope that people without Christ have, or I should say the lack of hope. Listen to this article. He says, and like others, we will look within and use the power of our own consciousness in a process of reflection in an effort to see and to know more clearly what our direction and purpose should be. But there is this one important difference. We believe that the kind of discernment that we are to do is something more than just listening to ourselves It's gaining greater knowledge of ourselves. In this general sense, discernment about what we should do and where we should go within our own lives will involve looking within and using the powers of our own consciousness in a process of reflection. Discernment in this sense is sometimes spoken of as a matter of listening to ourselves. Wasn't that bunch of just like a whole bunch of the same type of stuff? I mean, not really much. I don't know what you do with that. If that's where you're looking to try and find out, okay, how do I make good decisions? How do I decide what to do? You know, people don't need to look at themselves. When they're looking for trying to make a decision, listen, we don't need to be looking in here. God has given us some tools and some methods, but I'll tell you what the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 25, that the way of man, we know that when we lead ourselves, it's going to end in a mess. He tells us in Proverbs 16, 25, he says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Yeah, there's things that in our heart and mind sometimes, have you ever made a wrong decision? <laughs> have you ever thought, this is what I should do, and, and, and you just pursued it and, and went after it and, and thought, this is right, and then you found out, oh, that's wrong. Now, I'm not saying, beloved, that we can't ever make a good decision. I'm not saying that there's no, no possibility for you to uh, take a step in the right direction. But what you must understand is the good decisions that we make are because of the influence of biblical principles in our lives. Even for those people who aren't Christians who wouldn't claim 
the truth of the Word of God. There are so many people in this nation, in this country, that deny God, that are reaping the benefits of a Christian heritage, that has made this country prosperous and made it what it is. I mean, you just look to, uh, I was watching a missionary presentation uh, today from a missionary going to Zimbabwe. And he talked, uh, I mean, he, he, he just kind of gave a brief history of the country and, and the civil wars and the, the people killing each other. And this new person got in control and this made great changes. And the government stopped the civil wars, but they thought there was a centralization of, of property. And at one point, they were the bedbasket of Africa. And now they're, they're bankrupt and, and people are starving in the streets. And, and just decisions that were made, they, they took all these landowners and they took away all their land and gave it to the people. But all these people had no, no idea what to do with land. So instead of these landowners farming and producing crops and, and feeding the nation, they gave all this land, they took it away from those and gave it to all the people and said, oh, here you go, here's your own land. So these people have a piece of land that they can sit on, but they're starving to death. There is a way which seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And what I'm saying is we are benefiting in this country every day because of biblical principle and sound decisions that were made in past generations that maybe we don't even realize or give credit to, but we're reaping the benefit of it today. Every family should have a mutually agreed upon method for making decisions, for establishing direction for the family. And beloved, this is not a matter of winning or losing. This is not a matter of, uh, you know, oh, he, he got his way last time, so I get my way this time. No, if you together agree on a course of action, you both win. And when you decide together how you're going to make decisions that mutually agreed upon that established pattern, that established way of, de- of deciding what to do, your family's blessed and it's stable. There have been many families destroyed by the inability to make biblically sound decisions. And beloved, making a wrong decision can be very, very costly. Sometimes it can just cost money. And quite frankly, money, although it makes the world go around, uh, money can be replaced. I know it's, it's a turmoil, and I know it's hard, and it's put your family in great financial straits, and I know that bad decision was, was, it was a mess, and it's going to take you some years sometimes, years, to get out of the mess you made from a bad decision. But you know, that's probably the least damaging of the decisions that you can make that are wrong. I think if a young person makes the wrong decision and loses their purity for the rest of their life. It's gone. Sometimes a wrong decision, some people can, can, they're they're today in the cancer ward because they know the decisions they made when they're younger, put them there. Sometimes a wrong decision is something that you'll pay for, for for many, many years and maybe for the rest of your life. I think about somebody that can't wait and wants to get married. Oh, I'm going to get married right now. Nope, don't want to wait. And they marry the wrong person. Can cost them for the rest of their life. A lot of heartache. 
Continual turmoil. I mean, there's so, there's so many decisions, beloved, that are, that are very, very important. And they, they will cost us if we don't determine to not look inside of ourselves, but to look where we need to look. So how do we make biblically sound decisions? How, how do you make right kind of decisions for your life? Even basic, mundane decisions we ought to be making in light of these principles. Because, you know, a great big mess can be made by just a multitude of bad decisions. So first of all, how to make sound decisions for your life is trust God. So look in Proverbs chapter 3. These are familiar verses. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Most of you here probably can quote it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. These verses very clearly give us the opposite side of that coin where you have somebody trusting in themselves and determining their own way, but they know that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. The way that seemeth right to a man ends up in death. So on the other side of that is somebody that's not trusting in themselves, but trusting in God. Somebody that's trusting in God and it says here, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. God wants to direct your paths. You want, you want a principle to live by? Here's a principle to live by. Follow God, not gold. Follow God, not gold. I want to tell you, even in fundamental independent Baptist churches all over this country, there are very few people that follow God and not gold. The majority of people make decisions based off of money. Oh, I've got to, uh, I've got to, you know, miss church because this, I hope I've got to move away because of this is where the job's taking me. Oh, I've got to do this because it's all money decisions. But is that really how God leads you? Or do we follow God and let God provide? I've seen it in people's lives, both directions, those that followed God and watched them be prospered and blessed. And I saw those that followed gold. And for a time, it looked okay. Seemed like it was all right. But ultimately, in the end, cost them. Beloved, I want you to know that the path of least resistance is often not the way that you should go. The philosophy and idea of going through open doors and just following God because this was the open door is not necessarily how God leads I'm not saying you won't ever have an open door, an effectual open door unto you that God's provided a way for you. But I know that Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side when he knew full well that they were going to be facing a storm in the middle of that sea. He knew that they were going to be in danger of their lives or they thought they were in danger of their lives. And oftentimes, the direction that God wants you to go is going to be through the storm. It's going to be through a closed door. He wants you to pray your way through. It's going to be uphill, not downhill. But when you know God's direction for your life, you can pray your way through and you can go that direction in the power of God. When I was a contractor in northwest Indiana, there was a leisure company in Chicago and uh, we had a relationship, friendship with them, and they knew me. And they wanted me to install swimming pools for them one summer. And I looked at it, and I met with the company, and I said, man, that would be great. And they had full confidence in my ability to get this done. And I thought, well, that's neat that they would trust me to do that. And 
Uh, so I said, okay, how much can you do? He says, well, I can keep you as busy as you want to be. And uh, so I went out and hired two crews of guys. And I was looking at it, and I'm going to hire these two crews of guys. These guys, after a week or so, maybe two weeks of me training them, then they'll be able to install the pools. And I'm a drywaller, so I'm going to be in Indiana drywalling. These guys are going to go up into Chicago. They're going to pick up the pools. They're going to install these pools. I'll give them a good job for the summer. And then I was going to make about $200 a day off of each crew. So I would be making about 400 bucks a day uh, and not have to do anything. I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, this looked good. Cha-ching, right? Like, man, this is nice. I didn't pray about it. I didn't seek the Lord's will. I just said, yep, I, I can do it. I can make this work. I was still a drywall contractor. I still had guys working for me hanging rock, and we were doing that during the day. So, uh, But little did I know it was not going to be one or two weeks of training. For the majority of that summer, I would leave the house at about 4, 4.30 in the morning, drive into Chicago, load up equipment, get these guys loaded out, meet them on a job site, help things get underway, make sure everything's rolling, solve the problems, and then drive back to northwest Indiana and drywall until late at night, and then get up the next day and do the same thing. Most weeks, I didn't make a dime. And some weeks, I had to take the money out of my drywall money that I was earning just to make payroll. You see, I had to have about $1,200 a day just to make payroll. And if they weren't clearing at least that, if they weren't at least earning that, then it had to come out of my pocket. (laughs) And that was a brutal summer. (laughs) I mean, you talk about a life lesson. I mean, week after week, I'm like, Lord, please don't ever let me do this again. I have just got to finish this. We've got six more weeks of, of, of this, I, and then it will be done, and my commitment will be over. And I mean, I was looking at the money and thought, this is going to be great. Boy, I'm going to make some money, give these guys a good job for the summer. And, oh, man. Some weeks I worked an 80-hour week for nothing. I didn't make anything. I just paid my help. And uh, we made it through the summer, but I learned a lesson. You follow God, not the gold. You need to be able to trust God. God doesn't necessarily lead by this philosophy or idea of putting out a fleece. You know, just testing the waters, as it were. Or, you know, God, if you're in this, then, uh, you know, make it foggy tomorrow. You know, or, or whatever. Uh, you, whatever fleece you want. I know there's a story of a flight attendant that had flown to the Rockies for her vacation, and she spent time on a, on a dude ranch out there, and she enjoyed it. It was up in the Rockies. It was so beautiful. She loved the smell of the pine trees and the fresh, brisk air. And, boy, she just, this is so amazing. She thought, this is wonderful. But what she liked the most is the eligible young bachelor uh, who owned this dude ranch she was staying at. And she just hit it off with him. And actually, he really liked her because before she left, he proposed in one week. And she said, wow, this is too fast. I mean, I'm surely excited. And I I just, I really, I mean, that's amazing. But I don't know. Ah, And of course, ultimately, she said, you know what? I need to go home. I I just need time to think about it. I'm going to go home. And, uh, you know, you, you... I'll let you know. So she packs all of her bags and locks up the cabin and heads to the airport. She's she's in the plane and just struggling about what to do. 
you know, should, did I do the right thing? Should have I stayed there? Did I miss my opportunity? I mean, here's a nice guy. He owns property and, I mean, all this. And, uh, you know, I could be done with this stewardess thing. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. So she got up and went to the restroom to wash her face and, you know, just to freshen up a bit. And she went into the restroom. Well, while she was in the restroom, some turbulence came. And the plane started shaking and, you know, all of that. And uh, a little banner came up there and it said, uh, return to the cabin. And she said, that's what I need to do. So as soon as she landed, she got a new flight and went back to Colorado. (laughs) So that's how she found direction for her life, that she was going to marry this guy because a sign came on when she was in the bathroom. And, you know, some people are looking for a sign anywhere. And they'll take a sign anywhere to do what they want to do. You know, it's, it's return to the cabin and fashion your seatbelts. And she's like, that, that's it. I'm supposed to go back to Colorado and get married. You never know what people are going to grab a hold of to do what they want to do. But what we need to do is, is trust that God knows. I want you to understand God wants to lead you. God wants to give you direction. Just like any leader would want to give those that are following him direction. No parent wants to leave their child to just wander aimlessly without any direction, without any leading from their parent. God directed Abraham. God continually directed the children of Israel over and over again. We see the miraculous ways that he led his people. And that is a testimony to us that God's going to lead us. We just have to trust that God can do it. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9. Would you look at that? The question is, can you trust him? If he says, here's what I want you to do, can you trust him to do it? Proverbs 16, 9 says, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. God wants to direct your steps. God wants to guide you. The question is, is whose will do you really want? Is it your will or his will? We've got to seek his direction. And I ask you, when was the last time you really sought God for his direction in your life? I don't mean you sought God for that need that you have. Because, boy, that, a need will drive us to our knees, won't it? A, a burden, a heartache, a family member in a hospital, somebody sick, boy, that'll drive us to our knees. But when, have, when was the last time we really got serious with God about a decision we needed to make? about finding direction in our lives, just to know, Lord, is this what you want for me? When was the last time you fasted for God's direction? Really seeking the Lord's will and say, okay, Lord, here's a decision I need to make. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and pray. I remember when Caleb was real little. It's heartbreaking how big my kids are getting. But when Caleb was real little, you know, um, I got several illustrations that I didn't hear with the little kids, but he used to sit outside of our door and he would just sit down on the floor outside the door and start knocking, you know. And uh, he knew we were in there. And several times, mom and I were like, I wonder how long he'll do that. You know, <laughs> he'll just sit there for <laughs> mom, mom, you know. I know you're in there, (laughs) you know, just calling, knocking, calling. He's not going to give up. He wasn't going to go away. He wasn't going to just say, oh, well, you know, that's it. That's uh, that's all. I'm. uh, Mom's not going to answer, obviously, so I'm going to go play. Nope, he would just sit there until one of us came and opened the door and said, what do you want, Caleb? 
When's the last time we did that with God? We said, Lord, I need direction. I need to know. I know you want to show me. I know you want to lead me. I know you want to give me wisdom in this situation. Are you seeking his direction? Are you honestly, uh, you need to honestly determine if this is a decision that you are supposed to make. You see, sometimes people are making decisions and they're burdened about things that have already been answered. They've already been answered. You know, how many of you ever heard a kid come in and say, I'm bored, there's nothing to do. My kids learn not to come and tell me that. <laughs> they would come in and say, Dad, I'm bored. And I'd say, oh, okay, great, let's clean up the basement. And then they would be working, and I'd hear one of them say, why'd you ask him? <laughs> why'd you say that to him? And they're like, you told me to ask him, you know. What could we? They were hoping I would say, let's go on a bike ride, or let's do something fun, you know. But, you know, it was usually, let's clean, or let's chop wood, or something like that. And uh, then they, they are like, oh, no, it's okay. We're not that bored. We'll go play. You see, they didn't really want the answer. They, what they wanted is what they wanted to do. They were hoping Dad would say, well, let, let's get in a car and go grab a soda or an ice cream. That, yeah, they would be all for that. But when I said, here's what you need to do with your time, they're like, oh, no, never mind. So I gave them direction. I showed them what to do, but they said, no, that's not really what I wanted. Now, sometimes God has given us directions, very clear directions in his word, but we don't want that. You might, have to de- you might not have to decide what to do. You might just have to decide to obey. And so secondly, how do you make sound decisions? You spend time in God's word. Spend time in God's word. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We, we read that. We quote that. We understand it. But do you believe it? That this word, this book here, you say, well, I read it and I don't get anything. But you've got to have faith and believe that God is doing something. When you spend time in the Word of God, you are getting wisdom, you are gaining understanding, you are getting the mind of God, and He will direct your steps. He'll give you insight, He'll give you decision-making ability that you don't have in and of yourself, that in your experience you don't know. Now, it's not by randomly pointing at a passage. It's not, oh, I'll look in God's Word, what should I do, and just point, and that's what I should do. That's not how you find God's will. You get the mind of God by reading God's word. The scripture says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. When this word becomes part of your heart and part of your life, it will be guiding you. It will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, guiding and helping you make the decisions. God's never going to direct you contrary to his word. Any decision you ever make, it'll never be contrary to his word. That's how I know sometimes that people haven't sought God. They tell me, I've even had them say that, oh, this is God's will. And it's contrary to Scripture. This is not God's will. There's no question in my mind, and I, I don't know God's will, but I know what the Bible says. Those who read a lot of Bible... don't have to pray about as many decisions. Sometimes you might have to wait on God 
and rest in His Word to get the direction you need. But this book is the mind of God. It says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes staff here at the church, their job is to obviously first follow God, but beyond that is to follow the leadership of the pastor. And it's not necessarily for them to fulfill and accomplish their own desire in a particular ministry, but to look at the ministry and say, okay, what would pastor want? How would pastor want this done? And they should desire to fulfill that according to what they would believe my mind is on the matter. Oh, I know pastor would want this done first class. Oh, I know pastor is not going to be happy with that. I know Because why? Because we've spent a lot of time together and they have, they've got knowledge of my mind. A lot of times uh, in a home, uh, you know, it'll be like, oh, yeah, mom's, mom is not going to say that bathroom's clean. You better go back and do that again. <laughs> they know the mind of mom on that, and that is not going to be sufficient. You better clean that some more, right? That is not going to be enough. And you, you learn the mind of God, and, or you learn the mind of your parents or your children do, and, and we learn the mind of, of our leaders or our boss at work or something like that, and you know what they would expect of you. Well, we need to learn the mind of God. And when we learn the mind of God, we'll have direction from him. Faith, beloved, is following his revealed will. That's faith in action, is just following his revealed will, doing what we know he wants us to do. Why don't you look in Proverbs chapter 11, if you would. The third way to make sound decisions in your life is to maintain a righteous life. Maintain a righteous life. You think, well, how can maintaining a righteous life help me make good decisions? Well, that's what the Bible says in Proverbs 11, verse number 3. He says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. But the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. So you want guidance in your life. You want wisdom in your life to make right decisions. He says, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. Look at verse number 5. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. You want direction in your life? Live a righteous life. The righteousness of the perfect shall direct his way. Living a righteous life will help guide your life. You don't have to turn there, but in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 29, he says, A wicked man hardeneth his face, but as for the upright, he directeth his ways. Saying, God directs your ways. <clears throat> Those that live upright or righteous lives. So just purposing and desiring to live a righteous life can give you direction, can help you make biblically sound decisions. We know the Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We use that phrase, we rely upon it, trusting that God is ordering our steps, but it takes a righteous life for that to happen. You can't say steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and not be living good. It's the steps of a good man that are ordered by the Lord. You can't be out living in sin and then say, oh Lord, why did you let this happen to me? He wasn't directing you there. You, you left his direction a long time ago. Living right can give you direction in your life. There is a certain amount of safety and direction that comes just from righteous living. 
Sometimes people ask me, you know, Pastor, how did you know to do that? Like, they'll look at some decision I made, and they'll say, that's amazing that you knew that. Like, how did you know to do that? And I say, well, after four years of college and a lot of studying, I determined that, no, it's just in my heart and mind, this is what God was, I said, this is what we need to do. And I don't even mean to over-spiritualize it, but it's, again, just guidance from God. And, and sometimes people have asked questions like that in, in almost in, a, in amazement as to how something turned out. And I wasn't that shocked, but it's not. It's just direction. It's direction from God, and it's, blessed, it's a blessing to, to have that. You don't want to be making decisions, especially important decisions, when you know you're not right with God. You know, he even says in, in the Bible there, he says, you know, if you are at the altar and you're praying and making a request and you have awed against a brother, you got a, you got a problem in your heart, he's saying, you, you need to get up and go fix that first. You've got to fix the problem and then come back. And we're looking to God and saying, Lord, I need direction. I need to know what to do with this. And he's looking at you and saying, okay, but you need to fix this. And then I'll give you direction. Living a righteous life. When a believer's not living right, he has the form of godliness, but is denying the power thereof. You see, there's power in living how God wants you to. And you can have God, the God there's, there's power in living a godly life. But when we're not living a godly life, we have a form of godliness. We know how to act and look like a Christian, but we've completely neglected and shut off that power that's available to us to make right decisions. And lastly, this evening, to make sound decisions, you need to seek godly counsel. In Proverbs 24, verse number 6, the Bible says, For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. In a multitude of counselors there is safety. Now, there are many counselors that you may look to. I want to say that you need to preface that with godly counselors. You need to seek and look for godly counselors, people that you look to and say, I, it is my belief that they walk with God. That they have the mind of God about the decisions they're making. That they are a righteous person. That they're desiring, not perfect, but they desire to please God. And you go and you seek counsel from them. I would say if you have a parent like that, regardless of how old you are, one of the first phone calls I make if I'm looking for counsel is to my dad. If you have a godly parent, I would say talk to your parents. They have got wisdom that God gives parents, and those of you that are parents, you understand. When you're talking about your kids, there's some things that God just directs you. God gives you wisdom for them, and, and you say, this, I don't think you should do this, or yeah, you should do this, or this, this would be better, or whatever. You, God gives a parent wisdom, and so I would seek godly counsel, that parental guidance at any age. Proverbs 6, 22, well, 20 through 22 talks about the idea of 
uh, following your mother and father and ultimately that it will guide you, that it will lead you. Now, you know, ungodly parents will often lead their children to do things that are contrary to Scripture. I had many friends when I was young growing up that their parents were unsaved, they were lost as could be, and oftentimes in their homes, those parents allowed and let their kids or even encouraged their kids to do things that were so contrary to biblical thinking. Um, you know, and as a young man, I thought, boy, that was freedom, and wow, look, at they get to do whatever they want, and, and uh, you know, but... It really was just a parent that didn't care enough to limit their children's opportunities. And several of those kids today are dead. Some are in jail uh, because of what their parents allowed them to do. So the freedom they had, they lost. So only seek it if it's godly counsel. A child that will not hear the counsel of a godly parent brings reproach on himself and on his family. Look at Proverbs 19.26. Proverbs 19.26 says, He that wasteth his father and chaseth away his mother is a son that causeth shame and bringeth a reproach. You see, a young person that won't hear the counsel of his parent is wasting that God-given resource, is wasting that God-given gift. And uh, so utilize it. If you want to make sound decisions, seek godly counsel, obviously, from your parents and I say this with all humility, regardless of where you're at and who you are, but God has also given you a pastor. And you should seek pastoral counsel. Um, it's even uncomfortable for me to talk about, but I believe in pastoral leadership. I believe in the same way that God gives a parent direction, that God gives wisdom to a pastor uh, for the flock, insight into people's lives, that's God-given, that's not natural, that's not just, you know, uh, I know we like to take the, the man of God and look at him and say, well, he's just a man like me, and you're right. So is the doctor that you go to and ask, what should I do? He's just a man like you, but he spent his life studying medicine, and so you go to him and you say, what do you want me to do? And he says, buy these $800 a bottle pills and take one three times a day, and you say, okay. But we like to take the man of God who's given his life to serving people, to studying the scriptures, to, to studying people and, and how they act and react and their, what happens in their lives. And we say, oh, what does he know? And it's not just about knowledge. And you guys know me, and I've been doing this long enough for you to know that uh, I say it in all humility. I, I do not, I actually don't even like it. But I believe it's true. And I believe that you ought to seek the counsel of your pastor when you're making decisions. It's uncomfortable for me as a pastor to be put in this role, but I believe it's a position that I'm called to. And so I believe it's my responsibility to strive to give you godly counsel. Now, as a pastor, I can't know God's will for you. I don't know exactly what God, you'll never hear me say, this is what God wants you to do. Because I don't know that. I just know some practical things. I know some lessons I've learned. I might have some insight from God, and I'll look at you and say, I don't know that this is wise. Or, or this might be a better course of action. Or maybe you should pray about doing this instead. I, I don't, I'm not going to tell you that I know God's will. Because I can't know God's will for you. And I'm fallible. 
I can make a mistake, even though I take very seriously giving anybody advice because I know that I'm responsible for God for what I tell you. So it weighs very heavy on me when somebody comes and says, what should I do about this? What should I do with this or that? But God's given you that resource. A pastor gives you direction from the pulpit as he preaches the whole counsel of God. If you pay attention, listen, and let it guide your life, you should be getting wisdom for your day-to-day life from the pulpit. But the pastor is also available for private counsel if you have matters that are of concern to you or you would like advice on. I mean, you should at least ask. What does the scripture say that we read? There's safety in a multitude of counselors. I mean, what can it hurt? What can it hurt? To say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm never going to look at you and say, well, that's stupid. Don't know why you would ever ask such a dumb question. I've never, I mean, I don't know. Some people tell me that I'm, they're afraid to talk to me. Like, I, I don't know why that is, but uh, some people that have come here are like, man, I was coming to church for six or eight months before I ever talked to you. I was just afraid to talk to you. Uh, and I try and be pretty approachable, but apparently I can look pretty stern. I don't know. But I'm available. At least ask. There's safety there. I may even look at you and say, you know what, I, I don't, I don't know what you should do, but I'll pray with you. But I'll pray with you. I mean, what can that hurt? Just have somebody else praying to, to help you have, make a wise choice and do what you believe God wants you to do. I've been doing this long enough. I grew up in a pastor's home. I've been in the ministry since 1999 myself. I've been doing this long enough to say authoritatively, you better be careful about disregarding the advice given to you by your pastor. I already said I can't tell God's will for you. And then I'm very careful about giving specific direction. But I have seen it many times. I can give you specific, practical examples and names and places, but that's not what this is about. I want you to understand that you need to be cautious about just just disregarding it. You need to know that what you're doing is God's will for you, not just something that you want. whether it's here or another church or somebody else. Just use the resources that God gave you. And then just a couple of closing practical notes for you um, about you know, how to make sound decisions. If you have several decisions to make, write each decision out in the order of priority. Write each decision out in the order of priority. Many times, if you start making these highest priority decisions it will automatically solve or answer a lot of the other ones down the list. And it'll, it'll like, you feel like, man, i got to know what to do with this and do with that and do with this and so many decisions to make and it's too many and I'm overwhelmed with it. They'll sit down and write them out and then just start making some decisions on those high-priority ones and the others will probably fall into place. 
Um, don't wait until the last minute. Daniel 1.8 says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Daniel had made up his mind. He had made the decision ahead of time. And that's one principle that I've really learned more and more over the years is don't wait till the last minute. You've got a decision to make? Try and make it. We're all procrastinators by nature. Especially an important decision. Oh, I'm just going to put it off. Um, I'm just going to put it off. But don't do that. And a lesson I learned when I was a kid, actually, is words, words of wisdom from my father. He said, never doubt on your feet direction God gave you on your knees. And that's something I've remembered for the entirety of my life. I can tell you, <laughs> I knew without question that I was supposed to move to Lawrence, Kansas and be an assistant pastor there at I knew that as much as I knew I was supposed to marry, marry. I mean, that was probably the second most definite decision, direction that I had from God in my life outside of the mate I was supposed to marry. That definite piece, I knew that. It was settled on my knees in Saturday night men's prayer meeting. I knew that this is what God wanted me to do. We got to Lawrence, Kansas, and we unloaded the truck. We showed up like at midnight, typical me in the middle of the night. We unloaded everything. Mary and the kids went to bed, and I walked around the property, and I will never forget the feeling of utter helplessness and complete overwhelming that I felt because they, they had an apartment for us, but I had to build it first. Like they had a space in the building. This is where your house is going to be. Here's some supplies. you got to build the house. Um, and the school building needed built and needed finished. And I walked around everywhere I looked. There was so much work. And that night I was so overwhelmed in my heart and in my life. And I just was like, Lord, what am I doing here? This is too much work. There's too much to do. I could never accomplish this in all my, I mean, what in the world? Oh, we accomplished all that and so much more. Actually, the building that we built with our apartment in it, We took that entire building down board by board, moved it five and a half uh, miles, and put it all back up again. Uh, A 90 by 125 steel structure with the entire inside complete. We took it all apart, dismantled it, and moved it all. That was after we got it complete. So, And that was just one of the many buildings. We, We did so much beyond. That first night, I was so overwhelmed, and as I look back, I think that was nothing. Like that project, what I was looking at and was overwhelmed with was nothing. But see... I might have packed my bags and left that night, except God, Dad had told me, never doubt on your feet the direction God gave you on your knees. And when you find direction in your heart and know this is what God wants me to do, then stand up, and it might be a storm. The door might be closed. It might be uphill. But you say, this is what God told me to do, and you do it in and with the power of God. And the last principle is it's never right to do wrong it's never right to do wrong so don't ever try and do something wrong even for a good motive or good purpose or to accomplish a good thing God's not going to lead you that way you know we need a new building but God doesn't want you playing a lottery to help us get it 
Okay, I mean, it's, not, it's never right to do wrong, whatever circumstance you look at. You know, I was thinking about Pastor Derek on Sunday with the Sunday school lesson he was teaching. And I remember a lot of times when my kids were little, we'd go into the grocery store, we'd go into a store, and we're in a very unfamiliar, unknown place, right? And they want to be right by you. They want to be close. And a lot of times they reach up and they hold your hand. And you're walking. But then as they become familiar with the space, they start thinking in their mind, oh, I know where we're going. And they'll, they'll let go of your hand and they'll take off in the grocery store, you know, in, in Walmart, whatever. They'll take off. And they think, oh, I know where dad's going. And so they go off ahead. And so I just step behind the counter, back where they can't see me. And what happens in about a minute when they realize dad's no longer there? They start getting real concerned. But see, for our lives, a lot of times, our reliance on God, how close we want to be to him, is in direct proportion to how comfortable we are with the decision we're making. for how much we feel we know about the situation. But see, we're not supposed to be trusting in ourselves. We're supposed to be trusting in God. And even with the simple decisions that we make in our life, it would behoove us to trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's how to make sound decisions. I hope that uh, you'll make biblically sound decisions. It'll bless your life. Uh, it's amazing when you see people make those right decisions. Not just one, but as a pattern of their life, they start making right decisions. It's amazing the transformation that takes place in their life. There's several people in this room that I could talk about specific things that over the past four or five years, your life has completely changed because of some right decisions that you've made. And we just got to keep doing that because if we don't, we could start going the other way where our lives are a mess again. Let's make sound decisions.